Elon Musk is currently the richest man in the world. And, and if trends continue, it, it would not be a surprise if he ends up becoming the richest man in the history of the world. How rich is this dude? He just sold a portion of some of his Tesla stock a few months ago for $16.7 billion. Why did he need to sell that much stock? To pay a tax bill, a tax bill of $11 billion. His tax bill alone is greater than several countries' entire gross domestic product. He's rich. What is he making this money from and what is he making it for? Elon Musk is on a mission, a mission to redeem and save humanity. He thinks that the biggest problem plaguing uh, humans is uh, sickness, disaster, and a potential extinction event that could occur here on our planet. And so he has developed uh, this company, SpaceX, that he's investing in, and he has these other business ventures that he has to help fund this development to hopefully be able to find a way for humans to be multi-planetary beings, to exist on other planets, to redeem and save humanity. Uh, because uh, he is fully committed through the billions that he is earning and investing, fully committed to these redemptive purposes that he has. As we look in the, the scriptures, we encounter one who is greater, who is richer, and whose purposes far surpass even that of Elon Musk. That is our God. And he has redemptive purposes as well. A plan to redeem and save and renew and restore humanity. And it doesn't involve the building of a rocket and transporting us to Mars. It involves redeeming and saving a people for himself. That through this people would come one. As God took on flesh and was born as a human to enter into our world, to live perfectly, to suffer and die on our behalf, to rise from the dead, that through faith in this promised one, Jesus of Nazareth, we could be made right, redeemed, restored by our God. And then God uses, as he has always used that people, to be participants in this great redemption plan, these redemptive purposes, to spread the news and invite others to be a part of his great work of rescue and restoration. This morning, as we look in the book of 1 Samuel together, uh, we want to understand more about how fully committed God is to his redemptive purposes and how we see that demonstrated in this book that we have begun studying together. Uh, the book of 1 Samuel, uh, we're dropping in on a portion of this redemptive plan, the unfolding of it. As from the promises given to Abraham, uh, God told uh, Abraham that he would make a great nation of him, that kings would come from him, and that through him the promised one would come. 
Uh, at this point in the life of God's people, there is yet uh, no king. Uh, Samuel has been uh, miraculously born to Hannah, and Samuel is going to be a part of that great work that God is doing. And this book has been given to us as God's people to point us to hope in and to rest in this promised king who would come. And Samuel is going to be David, but ultimately the book of Samuel also points us to the heir of David, Jesus the Christ, who is our Savior and Redeemer. So let's look in uh, the book of 1 Samuel together. We're going to be back in chapter 2. We're going to pick up back in verse 11. We left off in verse uh, 10 uh, last week, and we're going to go through uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. So verse 11 of chapter 2, all the way through verse 1 of chapter 3. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 226. So please follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy, that is Samuel, was ministering to Yahweh in the presence of Eli the priest. Now, the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know Yahweh. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant would come. While the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, all that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is what they did at Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, Let, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, No, you must give it now, and if not, I'll take it by force. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of Yahweh, for the men treated the offering of Yahweh with contempt. Samuel was ministering before Yahweh, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a, ro a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Then Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May Yahweh give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of Yahweh. So then they would return to their home. Indeed, Yahweh visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. And the boy Samuel grew in the presence of Yahweh. Now, Eli was very old, and he kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of all your evil doings from all the people. No, my sons. It is not a good report that I hear from the, uh, from the people of Yahweh spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against Yahweh, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. For, for it was the will of Yahweh to put them to death. Now the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with Yahweh and also with man. And there came a man of God to Eli and said to him, Thus says Yahweh, Did I indeed reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh? Did I choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? 
I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people Israel? Therefore, Yahweh, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, Yahweh declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then, in distress, you will look with envious eye on all the prosperity that shall be bestowed on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of you whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day. And I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. And everyone who is left in your house shall come to implore him for a piece of silver or a loaf of bread and shall say, please put me in one of the priest's places that I may eat a morsel of bread. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to Yahweh in the presence of Eli. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, uh, for your word. Uh, we thank you for how you have been faithful uh, to preserve uh, and uh, give your word uh, for your people throughout the history of our existence. And we pray and ask now, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to accomplish your purposes in our hearts and in our lives, that you would use this passage of this morning to do your great work in us. To the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. In this passage, we see that God is fully committed to his purposes of redemption. One of the ways that, that becomes evident in this passage is to see how God is displeased when his people undermine those purposes. One of the, the ways that, that this passage and that the author of 1 Samuel is drawing our attention uh, to, to God's displeasure over what is going on here is by going back and forth between Samuel and Hophni and Phinehas. I don't know if you noticed it, but it, the, the, the narrator gives us a, a little snippet about Samuel and how he's serving the Lord. And then it cuts away and gives us more information about, how, uh, about the wickedness and unfaithfulness of Hophni and Phinehas. Then it goes back to give us a little snippet about Samuel again. And it goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Almost like in, in a movie scene where it gives us one scene of what's going on and then it cuts away to show us something else. Samuel. Hophni and Phinehas, Samuel, Hophni and Phinehas. Listen to the, to the things that, that we're told about, about Samuel in, in verse 11. Elkanah went home to Ramah, and the boy was ministering to Yahweh in the presence of Eli. Then it gives us an account of the, the sins of Hophni and Phinehas. Then in verse 18, it says again, 
Samuel was ministering before Yahweh, a boy clothed with a linen ephod. Then in verse 21, uh, and the boy Samuel grew in the presence of Yahweh. Then in verse 26, the boy Samuel continued to grow both in stature and in favor with Yahweh and also with men. And then again in verse verse 1 of chapter 3, now the boy Samuel was ministering to Yahweh in the presence of Eli. Simple, regular, ongoing, faithfulness, growing, maturing. This is what the picture we get of, of Samuel. But of Hophni and Phinehas, we get a completely different picture. And the extent of their sin and their rebellion is highlighted when we contrast it with what Samuel is doing. First, it shows up in uh, verses 12 and following, the sin and the displeasure that God has over what they're doing. When we see them robbing, not just God's people, but robbing God himself through the sacrificial system. I don't know if you remember way, way back when we went through the book of Leviticus together. There's several different kinds of of offerings that the people could bring uh, to the Lord. One of those offerings would have been a whole burnt offering where everything that the offerer brings is completely burnt up and given to God. But other portions of the offering that was brought, uh, uh, parts of it went to the priests to provide for them. That was the way that they were sustained and cared for by the people of Israel, but through the provision that God gave them through the sacrifices that were brought. But then there's also uh, other types of offerings, peace offerings or fellowship offerings, where God does an amazing thing. Not only does a portion go to the priest, but God also invites those who bring the offering to eat with him, to eat in his presence, to experience the fellowship, the peace that the offering has secured for them and to, ex- to, to participate in and enjoy the pleasure and the delight of their God. Uh, in verses 12 through 13, it's telling about that type of sacrifice, one of these peace or fellowship offerings. The priest would have been provided with something from those offerings on the front end. Then the rest of it would have been given to uh, the people to eat. But did you see what the priests were doing? They were coming by with a fork. And after they had already gotten what belonged to them, They would come by and they would take their fork and they would stab it when what God had given his people. I love you. This is my provision for you, a symbol and a sign, a seal to you of your restored fellowship with me. And these priests scorn that. And they come and they take from God's people. Not only that, the Later, it's as if their appetite isn't satisfied. It tells that before, later look, look down in, in verse 15. Moreover, before the fat was burned, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who was sacrificing, give me meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said to him, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, he would say, no. You must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force. You see, the the fat portions of the offering were the best. And the best portion of the offering was to be given to the ruler and the king, God. Those were to be offered and sacrificed first. 
burned up completely to him before the priest got their portion, before the people ate with what God provided them. But here, Hophni and Phinehas are coming by, and they are saying, I want the best for myself. And the people implore them, no, wait until the fat is burned and we give it to the Lord. And they threaten them with violence. Here, not only are they robbing from God's people, they are robbing from God himself. And notice what it says in verse 17. Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of Yahweh. For the men treated the offering of Yahweh with contempt. It continues to go on. This isn't the extent of their sin. Down in verses 22 and following, we hear that they're also that women who would come, who, whose desire is to respond to God's grace and mercy by serving Him with their lives at the temple, they've given themselves to God, and Hophni and Phinehas come and commit sexual immorality with them. Whether the women were willing participants or not, it doesn't tell us. But here they are violating the people's trust in God, using them for their own gratification, for their own glory, for their own satisfaction. Again, scorning the offering that one would give to God of themselves to him. And they are taking for themselves uh, and this is something that continued to go on. Uh, it, it tells us in, in verse uh, 22, this wasn't a one-time thing. Eli was very old. He kept hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. And here in this passage, we see him. Eli says a little bit of, of, of something to him. He's trying to restrain his sons from what they're doing and reminding them. Notice what he says. Uh, Why do you do such things in verse 23? For I hear of your evil doings from all these people. No, my sons, it's no good report that I hear from the people of Yahweh spreading abroad. If someone sins against a man, God will uh, mediate for him. But if someone sins against Yahweh, who can intercede for him? Here, Eli's highlighting something that we see is true in Scripture. All sins are not equal. Sin against a man is a sin, and it is a serious thing. But when a high-handed, arrogant, prideful, unrepentant way to sin against God and his purposes in the lives of his people and the work that he's doing in the world. Remember what these sacrifices communicate, that a gracious and merciful God has entered into the world, entered into the hurt and the pain and the sin and the shame and the suffering of his people. And he has provided a way by his grace, not through your performance, to be made right with him. And those who are to represent this good news and this message to the world are distorting and twisting it. God is not pleased with this. Because this is a complete undermining of his purposes in the world. And it's not just Hophni and Phinehas. Eli is a participant as well. Uh, notice he doesn't, he's, he is the high priest. He could put a stop to this. He could bar these sons from the, the temple. He could bar them from ever serving again, but he does nothing but speak to them. And even that, notice over in verse, uh, uh, verse 29. Why then do you scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded for my dwelling and honor your sons above me? 
by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering of my people. Eli's getting fat. We'll actually see that detail given to us in a couple of chapters. How's he getting fat? By eating all the food that his sons rob everybody from and that he robbed from God. Eli's a participant as well. Through omission, by failing to put a halt to the sins of his son, and by committing sin on himself. And God is not pleased with this. It'd be one thing if this was a a rare occurrence. This is the only time we would ever hear of those who profess faith in the one living and true God and those who are, are leaders of that people to be those who would steal from God's people, who would steal from God, and who would uh, commit sexual immorality in the context of the worship of God. But doesn't that sound very familiar to things that we hear are going on even today? Do you know why we have this building? Calvary Baptist Church was in existence here from the early 1900s. In 2015, it shut down never to open again because the pastor was embezzling, taking money that the people were given to God and stuffing his pockets. And God shut this church down. Think about other stories you hear of pastors who uh, celebrate the amount of money they're making by buying expensive houses, expensive cars, expensive sneakers. You find out that some of it comes through shady financial dealings, through the ways that they're, they're manipulating the finances at their church, or manipulating the, the New York Times bestseller list to sell more books so that they can be more popular and then sell more books, and it becomes all about making money and a name and a fame for themselves. Or hear about sex scandals. You hear about this has been really prolific within the Catholic Church of not only hearing of abuse, sexual abuse going on in the church, but hearing of people trying to cover cover it up and do nothing about it. That doesn't happen just in the Catholic Church. It happens in Protestant churches as well. Leadership participates in it. Youth leaders taking advantage of the children in their, their youth group. Pastors having affairs with secretaries or choir members or those that they're counseling. If you're a non-Christian here and you've heard of those stories or maybe you've visited churches and experienced that and you're upset by it, you're disgusted by it, you're angry about it, and that is one reason why you have said that you don't want to be a part of the church anymore, I get it. I get it. It makes complete sense. The fact that you would step into this church this morning is, uh, is humbling for me to, to know that. But no, your response is the very reason God is so displeased with the sins of his people who would undermine his purposes. Because God's purposes for his people would be that as you see the church, You see a humble people resting, relying, giving themselves to the glory and the honor of God and serving others, not taking, not hurting, not robbing, not manipulating. 
That's what's going on here in 1 Samuel. The name and the purposes of God are being undermined because those who were to be the mediators, the teachers, the exemplary people who show the people of God who their God is, how they're made right with him, are completely misleading and taking advantage of them. And the, the witness of God is being scorned and maligned throughout the nation. The same thing happens today. God is disgusted by this. It does not please him. And those types of sins should not please us either. We should be disgusted by those things. We should hate those things. We see in this passage God's displeasure over the undermining of his purposes moves to a place to where he also judges those among his people who undermine his purposes. Think about Elon Musk developing this SpaceX program, trying to develop these rockets that could take off and then land so that they're reusable, trying to develop a way to, to, to increase fuel efficiency through all sorts of different uh, scientific experiments so that they can figure out how to get people from Earth to Mars, because in his mind, the salvation of humanity depends on us escaping this planet and getting to Mars. Think about how much he's invested in that, how committed he is, how motivated it is by putting billions of dollars into seeing this happen. How's he going to respond if he finds out that an employee of SpaceX is fudging the numbers or not being careful and, in fact, maybe even sabotaging some of the work that's going on so that these, this rocket development doesn't take place? He's going to be extremely upset because not only are you costing him money, you're costing him his reputation, and you're costing potentially in his mind the redemption of the world. Not only is he going to be displeased, he will quickly remove you from his corporation. And in fact, might, would, and most likely would pursue the fullest extent of the law to make sure you are brought to judgment and justice. That makes sense to us on a financial corporate level. How much more so should that make sense to us in how God would respond? Do you see how he responds in this passage of the judgment that he brings upon those who arrogantly and unrepentantly undermine his purposes? Look in verses 27 to 34 to start off. Uh, this man of God comes to Eli and he says, uh, Did I not reveal myself uh, to the house of your father? He, there he's speaking of Aaron. When they were in Egypt, subject to the house of Pharaoh, and did I not choose him out of all the tribes of Israel to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? I gave to the house of your father all my offerings by fire from the people of Israel. A great honor, a great privilege, a great responsibility. And what do you do, Eli? You scorn that. You scorn my sacrifices and my offerings that I commanded. You reject this great high and holy calling. You reject my purposes in the world. 
You honor your sons above me by fattening yourselves on the choicest parts of every offering for my people Israel. Therefore, Yahweh, the God of Israel, declares, I promise that your house and the house of your father should go in and out before me forever. But now, Yahweh declares, far be it from me. For those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I'll cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you'll look with envious eye the prosperity that has been bestowed upon Israel, and there will not be an old man in your house forever. The only one of whom I shall not cut off from my altar shall be spared to weep his eyes out, to grieve his heart, and all the descendants of your house shall die by the sword of men. And this shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be a sign to you. Both of them will die on the same day. Here, God is telling about the judgment that will come. He will cut off Eli and his descendants from being priests before the Lord. Uh, If any of them live, they're not going to live to be old men, he tells them. And if any do survive, and there will be a few that do, God says that the only reason they're going to survive is so they can weep their eyes out. Over the loss and destruction is the sword of men come and destroy them. God is going to bring judgment. Remember the context of 1 Samuel. This is happening during the time of of the book of Judges where the people are oppressed by outside enemies. But you notice, as God is working to bring about his king and the lives of his people, where the judgment begins, it's not among the Philistines. Judgment starts with the house of God. Before we think about the judgment of the outsiders, the non-believers, the unchurched folks, First, we need to look the eye on and look to ourselves. Do you notice that the the judgment here is not just one that that is future coming? God is already pouring out his judgment on Hophni and Phinehas. Did you see that back over in verse 25? Start in verse 24. Know, my sons, it is not a good report that I hear the people of Yahweh spreading abroad. If someone sins against man, God will mediate for him. But if someone sins against Yahweh, who can intercede for him? But they would not listen to the voice of their father. Why? For it was the will of Yahweh to put them to death. Why would they not listen? Why would they not repent? Because of their prolonged, extended, unrepentant wickedness and rebellion and undermining of the purposes of God, God pours out his judgment on them now and withholds from them the grace of repentance. I will not allow you to repent. I will not extend my grace and mercy to you. What for some people would move their hearts and turn them to repent before me at this plea? That will not be true for you, Hophni and Phinehas. You have so long turned your hard heart towards me that now I am going to harden your heart and I'm going to silence your ears and you will not be able to repent. I'm going to give you over to your sin. I'm going to give you exactly what you want and what you deserve. 
think about that. That sometimes maybe what we're seeing in the world of these pastors who are taking advantage of their flock, yet they continue to do it. They're unrepentant. They boast of it. That in and of itself may be evidence of God's judgment on them now. Giving them over to their arrogance. Giving them over to their hard hearts. Withholding from them the grace of repentance because that judgment is already coming upon them. This is a warning to all of us. You profess to be a believer and a follower of Christ. You've been baptized. You've prayed a prayer. You've stood up and affirmed the five vows of our church and the the, the truths of the gospel. But yet you live consistently in a way, unrepentant, scorning God's purposes in your life and his purposes for his people. Do you hear this warning? The longer you go on, unrepentant may lead to God cutting off the possibility and not giving you the ability to repent at all anymore. That is a scary and shocking warning, but we need to hear it. If you think this is just an Old Testament thing, You might want to look at Romans 11 later, where Paul tells us to take notice of the kindness and the severity of God who will cut off from his people those who just profess with their mouths but deny God with their actions and in their hearts. Following Christ, being a believer, being a part of the people of God means repenting from your sin. And always turning and resting and hoping in Jesus. So what do you do? Are you wondering, does that mean I might not be a believer? Does that mean God has hardened my heart? Does that mean God is withholding from me the grace of repentance? Hear this now. Hear the grace of God to you right now. The call to repent. The call to turn from your rebellion. That sin that you committed last night or last week, or six years ago that you're hiding, that you're refusing, that you're harboring, that you're celebrating. Don't let it go any longer unrepenting of. You want to know if you're one of God's people? You want to know if God is at work in your heart right now? Turn to him in repentance. Take your sin to Jesus and experience the grace and the work of God who brings his people to a realization of their sin and their need of Christ. Because what you don't want is this hardening work of God in your heart and in your life. Do not be content to just bear the name of Christian outwardly. Respond and live as one. Turn to Jesus. Don't let one more day go by without repenting. While it is still today, hear the warning and the call and the invitation to believe and hope and rest in Jesus. Because we see here God is so fully committed to his work of of, of, of redemption and his redemptive purposes in the world. 
if he's not just going to let you continue to go on scorning his purposes and bringing shame to him and the world, he will act. He's displeased now, but hear his promise. Hear his invitation. Uh, Look down in verse 35. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. What do God's people need? They need a faithful priest. They need a priest who will faithfully bring their sin to their God, deal with it in the way that God has provided, so that they will have forgiveness, so that they will have fellowship and enjoy the presence of their God. And here, God is promising, I'm not done with my people. I'm not done with my purposes. I am acting now in Hophni and Phinehas' life because I care for my people. I love them, and I care about my purposes in the world. We already see evidence of this here with Samuel being raised up and growing in faithfulness before the Lord already. But here, God promises that he's going to raise up a faithful priest. The near fulfillment of this is going to be uh, a guy named Zadok who will begin uh, serving the Lord partially through David's reign. But then once Solomon is put on the throne, Zadok and his line will continue to minister before the Lord as high priest and before the, uh, the, the descendants of David until uh, there is no faithful uh, heir of David on the throne at the, the close of the, uh, uh, the persecution when the people return from Babylon. Zadok and his sons were not always faithful. They did not always live rightly before God. They misled and, and God or God's people, and they didn't live faithfully. They misrepresented God. It shows the need for an even greater priest. And this anointed one that it talks about, this priest serving before forever. We already know well from our sermon a few weeks ago how, what a wreck David was. But yet what God is promising here is that he is going to bring about a faithful priest and a faithful king who will rule his people and who will deal with their sin forever. Do you see and hear the grace and mercy of your God? Your sin is much. We already sang it this morning. My sins that are many, yet his mercy is more. How do you see the mercy of God revealed and shown? The fact that the priest that he promises that ultimately will come will be the one who will suffer as the sacrifice himself, whose blood will completely cleanse you. Look and hope in that priest. Look and hope in that king. Because it's the message of him, his rule and his reign that we have been privileged to, be, to experience as his people, but also to participate in taking this message of redemption to the nations. Rejoice and celebrate if you are one of the people of God. Celebrate His grace that He has granted you repentance. You haven't figured it out. God's grace and mercy to you. But if you're here this morning, you would call yourself a Christian, you were harboring unrepentant sin, run to Christ. Run to your priest. Run to your king and experience his abundant mercy. Let's pray.
Uh, Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the truth of the gospel. Uh, We pray that you would use these harsh and hard and difficult words this morning to bring us to ongoing repentance, to trust, to hope, and to walk faithfully with Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.